Happy New Year and welcome back to Dateline New Haven on WNHH New Haven's home for community radio. I'm Paul Bass inviting you to look behind the headlines on the stories that make community our community tick. One story is going to be a big story in 2023 is the new era of antitrust reckoning. The trust busters are back and how far will they get? In New Haven, we have someone who's been watching this that might know the answer to that better than just about anybody. His name is Florian Ederer. He's assistant professor in economics at the Yale School of Management. He's also affiliated with the Department of Economics. And he specializes, even when he's on the ski slopes, he specializes in seeing what's up with monopolies and efforts to protect the public. Welcome, Professor Ederer, and thanks so much for coming on, the, uh, coming on Dateline New Haven. Thank you very much for having me. All right. So am I right? Are we in a new era of reckoning with antitrust laws and are the trust busters back? I would think that you're probably right about that. Uh, I, I'll give you a personal anecdote about this. Usually in the last 10 years, when I talked about antitrust at cocktail parties and friends gatherings. And you just kept getting invited back. Yeah. <laughs> well, usually <laughs> when I talked about it, people's eyes started glazing over when I said something about antitrust. But it's been really changing. The last three, four, five years, people even outside of the antitrust, economics and law circles have been really interested in antitrust and the power that corporations hold, uh, what it does to consumer surplus, what it does to consumer welfare. And that has been very much picked up by policy as well. You've seen the changes in uh, Washington. We've seen changes also in Connecticut. And this is certainly the most exciting time in antitrust since the 1980s. Oh, and was that exciting because that's when we said we're not going to care about antitrust anymore? Uh, I wouldn't say that we wouldn't care about antitrust anymore in the 1980s, but uh, people have argued that the enforcement with regards to antitrust has decreased substantially in the 1980s, somewhat affected by some of the intellectual developments that we see in the 1970s and 1960s. Right, the right-wing corporate-funded uh, think tanks that succeeded in taking over power through the election of Ronald Reagan and then yeah. starving the beast. <laughs> well, <laughs> I know, that's very tendentious. <laughs> that's a You're a professor, you do nuance and fact. That's yeah. right, you know, yeah. I do. I, I, and then I'm an <laughs> economics professor, so everything that I say is on the one hand and then on right. the other hand, so there's always trade-offs Well, that's what I want to get this, into, because yeah. in fact, that is one of the great parts about antitrust laws. There are trade-offs, and it's often hard to define. And, you know, about those cocktail parties, I'm guessing, I'm going to take a wild guess here, okay? I'm guessing that when it started to change, you stopped being the skunk at the garden party. It started to change with Google, Facebook, Met, like all that kind of stuff. When people saying these tech companies, what's going on? Amy Klobuchar was talking about it. Even Josh Hawley. So you had some kind of overlap for different reasons between left and right. Everyone was talking about with the big tech companies. So we started tiptoeing on antitrust. But then at the end of every year when Congress had to really decide what's going to make the finish line, it never made it to the finish line. But then Taylor Swift happened. <laughs> yeah and now so. we're talking like florian can you come to our party we need someone to talk about taylor swift so that's when i first talked to you and this was just in i guess december right yeah in november yeah you're absolutely right paul i i i think there was a lot of policy interest in washington also academic interest uh, in antitrust that was reignited by the tech companies or the dominance of the tech companies I don't think it really captured the imagination or the attention of the public quite as much because many of the tech companies are 
very popular c- companies. We love America. convenience. We love convenience. We want to count our steps. We're not going to count on it like what is happening to our privacy or where the competitors can count our steps better for less money. Exactly. And I'm saying that as I'm wearing my Fitbit that's been watching my sleep. Uh, and <laughs> How's, how are you doing on that? And Wait, it's watching your sleep? Yeah, it's telling me about what sleep patterns I have and it's relaying those. Oh, data that's interesting. And well, what are you learning? Uh, mostly that I don't sleep so well because I have kids that wake me up in the night. But <laughs> so the Fitbit basically has to re-engineer parenting. It can't like really do much with that data. Huh? Exactly. But I, That's you hilarious. know. But uh, <laughs> to come back to your question, the the issue really became also more of I'd say a cocktail a party pleaser when uh, the Taylor Swift. Uh, Ticketmaster debacle happened, you know, and I, I commented on this, and uh, it it was one of the most read articles I've ever written. It was just a couple of short lines that I told the LSOM uh, News and Insights uh, studio about, and when they ran that story, suddenly there were lots and lots of people interested in talking about antitrust. So it wasn't just the tech companies, but it's stuff that directly relates to the everyday uh, enjoyment and entertainment. And it actually is tech. Do. Because it let's, is let's take, remind yeah. people what it was. All yeah. these people wanted to buy t- tickets to a Taylor Co- Swift concert, his t- her tour, and the the Ticketmaster, which had gotten had purchased Live Nation, was it the other way around? Uh, they had purchased, they had merged uh, with Live Nation. So basically, there was a, yeah. there was a near monopoly, not quite, but a near monopoly on uh, ticket sales and, and concert venues. So if you want a tour, you have to sign up with them, or you're not going to get the places to play, which is where people. They had gotten permission to do this merger, I think, 2010. They had signed right. a bunch of rules how they're going to operate, which they didn't follow through on. So now the system broke. They couldn't handle the whole flood of requests. That's right. And yeah. so all of a sudden, Dick Blumenthal, U.S. Senator, is here saying, we're going to have hearings in Congress. You guys, you know, this is about antitrust. This is about regulation. you got to have more competition so that more people can sell tickets and, and manage tours and then sell the merchandise, I guess, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And that um, you didn't follow it, so now we want to have you uh, revisiting by the Justice Department of this. And then just everyday people just wanted to like rip apart, um, rip apart the company. What's happened since then? Well, not that much has happened. It, I like to joke that antitrust is the slowest thing in the world. Uh, antitrust moves at a glacial pace. Um, the politics, in contrast, moves at a very, very fast pace. And so then burns out. And it's actually knowing, <laughs> yeah. if it were for something else I'm about to bring up, I think people might have forgotten about this already. Yeah, it, it's a very, very fast media cycle. I certainly haven't forget, forgotten about but it. Blumenthal but Blumenthal said there were going to be hearings in December by the Judicial Committee. Is that, did that happen? Yeah, so, I, I think they did. It, they're having committees about this. They're having com- hearings about it. But there are also lawsuits underway. But those lawsuits, you know, they're not going to move very, very quickly. Are they seeking regulatory changes? Mostly they're seeking compensation. Okay, so that's, that's different. So, so, that's so Blumenthal talked about we want to look at the way this merger and other mergers are handled. Did that? Did he have the December hearing or is it about to take place? Uh, and that I don't know. Uh, but I think th- this is mostly about creating political pressure to do changes. To, on the government? Yeah, both on the government, but also to uh, to show to the public that we're trying to do something about stuff that the public cares about. Um, the But the, was it just a quick headline when New- Taylor Swift's in the news cycle or are the center's going to follow up? It, that's hard to tell, but I think it's part of a greater agenda that you spoke to earlier about, which is about changing potentially the antitrust laws changing about how we handle certain antitrust cases. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, 
And that's not just about antitrust, but also how we do regulation. So how we maybe regulate what types of prices or what types of pricing structures Ticketmaster can have. Uh, mm -hmm. Should they be allowed to engage in this type of drip pricing that people hate, where you initially pay for the ticket and then you thought you paid for the ticket, but then there are all these additional fees that are being added on. And that, of course, upsets lots of people. Now, let's remind ourselves, though, that really it wasn't so much the prices that upset the people in this case here, but it was mostly the lack of quality or the lack of uh, reliability of and the actually service. it's kind of like southwest right Very although they're similar, not but yeah. they're not in they're not, it's not a monopoly issue correct no, absolutely not no but southwest has very intense competition but it is an issue they didn't invest in the tech infrastructure to serve this the exactly. consumer so bad bunny this was a much bigger deal than taylor swift yeah. mexico city was it they she had a big concert and all these people bought tickets and these were people often i believe lived in rural communities, don't have much money. They saved up weeks or months of pay and traveled to the city and did buy the tickets. And when they showed up, the Ticketmaster Live Nation technology broke. Yeah. And they were told at the gate that they didn't have a ticket. They had to scan a ticket and they were sent home. And people were crying. They lost their money. How did that fit into this issue? Did they keep it alive, alive longer or does our country not care about what happens in Mexico City? Uh, and strictly speaking, uh, the antitrust laws are set up to protect the American consumer. So they, we care about the consumer welfare standard, what happens to how well consumers are doing in America. Uh, and thus, it's not really part of uh, what we should care about or what, what the law tells us to care about what happens in, in, in Mexico. Now, of course, much of the tech regulation that has happened has actually been driven by changes in Europe, where now... They've cracked down more, and we're deciding where they're going to, too. And so if Google decides they're allowed to set allow certain people in an app store, correct? Or if Apple, I mean... Exactly. They have to see the tougher rules in... Or Twitter's moderation of content, right? If they're going to have tougher rules in Europe, European Union, will they have to have tougher rules here? Is that the idea? Yeah, that's part of the rule. I mean, you could have separate rules in different countries but that's going to be expensive for the company to handle another thing that is going to be an issue is you want to acquire other companies so merger control so i want to talk about those two things yeah. and i want to talk about tech i also yeah. want to remind people you're listening to dateline new haven and wnhh fm new haven's home for community radio at 103.5 fm live streamed at newhavenindependent.org and we have the trust buster expert in, in here at a time when the trust busters are back so I reveal my bias and say, welcome back. We missed you. Florian <laughs> Editor from the Yale School of Ma Management. So tech really has been, there are many issues with trust right now from healthcare to concert tickets, but tech is the biggie, right? The, yeah. the, what used to be called GAFA, but I forgot what they're called GAFM. GAFM. Yeah, yeah, so you got Google, um, Apple, Meta, Facebook. Well, Facebook, not Facebook. Yeah, anymore. Facebook. So the big tech companies are now in the crosshairs, both left and right as well as Senator A.B. Klobuchar to Josh Hawley in the Senate, saying they have too much power, they're concerned about for different reasons. As you just pointed out, it's everything from what companies they acquire to eliminate competition, which Microsoft, I guess, patented that generations ago. If someone's yeah. got something better, just buy them and then kill the technology, which really got me mad. Yeah. But also in terms of how they provide services and as they're really oligopolies, aren't they rather than monopolies? Yeah, absolutely. And cause they're both compete. They might start out ones in search ones in business software, but they're always looking to get onto each other's um, turf as who's going to be sort of the big provider of all the services. 
What is happening with tech specifically? Where are we with that? And what are the trust buses up to and why? Well, there are a number of lawsuits against the large uh, tech companies. Uh, the ones that are being watched you know, very, very closely is the FTC versus Meta. Federal Trade Commission. Yeah, the Federal Trade Commission, one of the two antitrust authorities that we have in this country. We have both the DOJ antitrust as well as Department the FTC. Justice. Yeah. And uh, that one is, I think, being watched very, very closely because it, it is about whether uh, Facebook or now Meta acquired many, many companies in order to build a, a moat around its key business that sort of eliminated mm. potential competitors. And what kind of business? Well, it's, it's uh, many different businesses. Uh, some, of we, some of the acquisitions that we back in the early 2010s thought were perfectly fine acquisitions, like acquisitions of WhatsApp and Instagram, and many acquisitions that maybe even increased consumer welfare because they allowed for easy integration and better, better, bigger platforms um, and higher quality for the consumer. But at the same time, it eliminated the direct threat to the core business of Facebook because they were also social networking platforms. Um, and so there are and ended a, a number of other acquisitions that were, you know, targeted at maybe building a moat and keeping out competition. Uh, so that there's that one undergoing. There's um, private lawsuits. People may have heard about the Epic versus Apple lawsuit. Gamer. In gaming, and yeah. And that's whether you have access, how much money Apple takes. By being the gatekeeper with its Apple store, and I'm not sure I get this that's right because right, yeah. I really know this stuff well. They get to charge a lot of money by cornering someone to the market. And the makers say, we can't get on people's phones unless we go through the app. But it's really all about the phone, right? So like, we can't get on their phone unless we give them 30% cut. Yeah. So that's what that's about. So that's what that that one is about. And we have a great question uh, from Facebook we're going to get to after this part of the discussion about the out what happened after the Great Recession 2008. A really good question. I want to continue for now with... um, with, so, so tell me about this. Yeah, so the Epic versus Apple is, is a private lawsuit where Epic uh, is unwilling to fork over those 30% on all the in-game transactions that they're doing. Uh, and this open- protects the consumer because for two reasons. What? One is they have to pay more because those fees are built yeah, in. Yeah, and the consumer never sees that either. It's just the 30% tax essentially that gets paid to Apple, but... How does that get passed on indirectly to the consumer? It just shows up as the price on there. And you never know and what secondly, it is. is it true they get... The, and this doesn't make my heart bleed, but yeah. do they get fewer games to play because of this gatekeeping? You well, can't afford that. Potentially. You know, there, there's... You can't all, make as much money as there's, there's a potentially this trade-off, which is if you're saying, well, if I can't earn that much money from my consumers because I have to pay 30% over to so now how Apple, laws, then I'm fe- not going to come up with as many games. And I'm guessing these are federal lawsuits. What about the conservative tilt being mitigated at the lower levels now in the federal court of the federal judiciary? Do they, how do they tend to look on, because if you really listen to the rhetoric of the federal society, of the Trump movement, mm-hmm. they're for the little guy, they're against these big tech companies, but often the judges, if I'm not mistaken, like Neil Gorsuch especially, are very sympathetic to corporate interests. The Koch brothers pay their career costs, and really what they're looking for the law is the opposite of what they claim this this kind of new movement is about in the courts, which they're really trying to protect corporations. Am I right about that? You know, it's, it's basically it's complicated. I wouldn't <laughs> bet on the lawsuits, or am I wrong? Yeah, I, it, everything is slow in antitrust, so it's going to take a while for these to make them their way through the court system. And then two, 
cons- uh, antitrust is conservative. Now, it's not conservative with the capital C, but conservative with the little C. We don't make C. big changes quick. Yeah, you don't make big Which changes Which is good. Quickly. We believe in that, right? Exactly. That's like when conservatives bequeath us something positive about political systems. Exactly. Don't and, be rare. And it's not that easy for plaintiffs in antitrust to win court cases. And sometimes these plaintiffs are well, the FTC. Let me FTC. throw a curveball at you. Yeah. When I heard you talking about this, I was thinking that like, when I challenge my own assumptions. Yeah. Okay, so Facebook buys WhatsApp. Mm-hmm. Facebook buys, um, you know, all the companies. Instagram. Yeah. Instagram. But then TikTok comes. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's keep aside the whole China issues. Yeah. Something better comes. Mm-hmm. And there's such a huge marketplace with, despite what we're saying about the Apple store, it really is not a, a high barrier to entry. It doesn't cost a whole lot. Someone yeah. can invent some of their pajamas in their room. I mean, look at the whole kind of retail stock investing that was done and how mm-hmm. rich those people got yeah. while producing nothing good for a world, but something else. But, <laughs> uh, but is antitrust outdated when the marketplace, people like us maybe who take seriously antitrust and think there's a reason for it, are we living in the past because in truth, Facebook can gobble up what it wants, Microsoft can gobble up whatever it wants, but the innovators will be able to emerge in a way they didn't used to. Or are we wrong about that? Did the internet have its one moment with the low barrier of entry and true marketplace of ideas, true free competition? And is that actually narrowed because the vast majority of, of access to the portal online is controlled by so few players? It's a great question. So what you're speaking to is dynamic competition and the marketplace is very, very dynamic. So regulating it or looking at it for antitrust is going to be difficult because we're not gonna, we don't know what the future holds here. Um, and we want that dynamic Beca- competi- competition because we the because it's a different landscape it's from the one that's written. Yeah, and and so if we're if we're doing antitrust now for Facebook, who knows what a antitrust you know what a Facebook will be? It just seems outdated. Out, it, yeah, because yeah. I see it as but, a media. Okay. But what you're speaking to is very important point. What we really want to protect is potential competition. We want mm-hmm. to protect those people that can go and challenge dominant incumbents. Mm-hmm. So we want to make sure that it's not so easy for incumbents to just buy up potential competitors and put them essentially out of business or just incorporate them in their own business and not have them challenged. The traditional tools of antitrust, is that the way to do it? it and I'm putting on the hat I of people s- who don't agree with me. Yeah. I say like, are you wasting your time and money, FTC or the lawsuit? Because the truth is there's going to be another TikTok. There's going to be, like I thought this with journalism. It's like, we said, Rupert Murdoch, you can't buy the TV station newspaper in your own market because you control the news. Well, it turned out that someone with a phone might do a better job of that local news and reach more people. That might be naive because the way now corporations have learned to game search results doesn't mm-hmm. give you equal access, you know, the money for like an SEO. So that's why I keep wondering whether yeah, I think, think our you're tools on the, you're are there. The, you're in the right track. I don't think antitrust is outdated, but antitrust needs to be updated in the sense that it needs to look more at potential competition, not just at existing competition, but also thinking about what are the types of anti-competitive measures that dominant incumbents employ in order to protect their existing business. Tell me about that. Yes. So how does that play into the um, the gamer has a play into Apple, has a play into well, so Apple Store. You know, some, let's take another one of these um, acquisitions that is being challenged by the FTC. This is Microsoft, another one of the GAFAM ones that wants to merge with Activision. It's, it's gaming again. And they've taken a stand on that, the Biden administration. They say, yeah, they this say, is the one we're going to stop. We're going to stop this one. Now, I personally, you know, I, I feel 
I try to be impartial about all of these, and I'm not sure that there's really huge consumer harm of Microsoft buying Activision. Yeah. But one of the things that you know you think about is what is the next big thing in in gaming? Well, it's probably some cloud gaming where you can game all directly from your phone, and you don't need to have a desktop computer. That's what Isn't that true now? Yeah, it's already, but it's it's sometimes slow. A so little they're bit. still fighting about the desktop. Yeah, no, wow. there's a little bit of desktop. But what you want once you have cloud gaming, you know, well, you need all kinds of titles. You need content to have it all there. And then how do you populate it? Well, ideally with all the contents from a game studio like Activision. So that's very much this forward-looking perspective. So that if Microsoft owns Activision. There isn't another competition in the marketplace to create the next breakthrough. Is Maybe. that different from historic antitrust? Antitrust historically, like, here's the two steel companies. Yeah. Here are the two steel suppliers, whether it's vertical or horizontal, where you're looking at supply chain or you're looking yeah. at the two in the marketplace. That has that something that's different now because we have mer what's the law? Moore's yeah, think, law, where everything changes so fast. No, yeah, I think the, the there certainly is more focus or emphasis on existing competition in antitrust law. And what I would hope that we put more emphasis on, and it's certainly also the case that the FTC and the DOJ are very, very aware of this, that we should think more about potential competition. What can we do to That is so interesting. And, and I do agree with you, how you approach your job, that you really don't just go on one side, look at the gray areas, you try to see both. Because in this case, you just said something I never thought about, so interesting, about how because industries change so fast on a dime, we have to look what rules we're setting about this Microsoft Activision, not because we care so much about the, the desktop computer, what's going to happen there, but because those rules will be relevant when it moves fast to the other side. So that's what the quote-unquote liberal would say, right? Yeah. The yeah. quote-unquote <laughs> conservative might say, tell me if I'm correct about this. And those terms don't mean a lot. Yeah. This is an example of government being the wrong engine in trying mm. to control a marketplace that doesn't understand picking yeah. winners and losers but also setting rules that might exist that it's actually the 22 year old or 18 year 16 year old kid who's yeah. tracking jeff bezos's plane and and elon musk's plane who's really going to figure out how that transition is going to be made and what kind of content and what kind of software code needs to be written to make that leap yeah. to the phone and make it work so if you're trying to write rules you know, Dick Plumethor's staff did used to make fun of him when he tried to talk about Facebook. He didn't even know how it works. I don't either, by the way, a lot of yeah. stuff. If you're trying to make rules and you don't really understand it, you're not in the thick of it, and you don't have as much at stake as the people who are going to make the money from the innovation, can you make effective rules or will it just have unintended consequences? I have lots and lots of trust in an the antitrust authorities. Um, I think they have extremely skilled people there that understand exactly these types of trade-offs. This is, you know, it's not me that first came up with this idea of potential competition being important. I certainly have written on this. I've written on this stuff on killer acquisitions, like you mentioned at the beginning. But these oh, ideas... that I don't see. Killer acquisitions. Is there any argument why that's okay? It, absolutely not. Because if you're a <laughs> capitalist, even if you're the Koch brothers, if they're going to be honest like 12 at yeah. night after their third brandy to admit <laughs> that they don't believe that free market means stopping other people from innovating yeah i think that's that's a very hard one to defend yeah. but there's certainly there are people out there who say some of these killer acquisitions are good because it provides incentives for the founders that get bought out in these killer acquisitions to come up with new innovations so i think that's there, there's always a but still the public but good that, that I'm looks pretty a hard bad, yeah. that, that's a stretch that's, isn't it it's a real stretch yeah okay but I, I think as long as we do a good job of making sure that that inventor in his basement or his garage can come and challenge dominant incumbents, I think then 
we're still doing a good job. All right. We're the, the job we're doing is talking about the trust busters are back and what that means for us when we sit at our desk, when we walk around with our phone, and when we have our Fitbit trying to be as smart as parenting advisors and how we sleep at night. We're talking about that with Florian Ederer, who is an expert in antitrust here at the Yale School of Management and Department of Economics at Yale at WNHH New Haven's home for community radio, 103.5 FM, live streamed at newhavenpen.org. Tom Breen asked, you said, great interview. Have you done any research around antitrust monopolies in rental housing, especially after the great recession of 2008? Have you seen huge investment companies like Invitation Homes operating in anti-competitive fashions after the foreclosure crisis? That's a great question because that's coming up back now, like when they write these laws about Airbnbs. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's, and, and well, I just commented, yeah, I just commented on another uh, lawsuit which is coming up, one that looks at RealPage, which distributes software for real estate management companies and claims that that software has aided collusion among rental uh, management companies and has increased uh, uh, the rents that uh, people pay in the housing market. Um, that is an ongo ongoing lawsuit, which is What is that? So what's the status of that? And what's so take? as I said, you know, very slow in antitrust. The, this is, has been filed, this lawsuit. Actually, several lawsuits have been filed in several metropolitan areas in the US that it essentially alleged that this software uh, that is algorithmic pricing, so this is computer assisted pricing that helps uh, rent rental agencies to rent price exactly how much they want on the different rental units that they're renting out. And the argument is that the software really helps in raising prices and helps mm. raising prices above competitive rates. So what Why would, is that? Well, because the, the software may allegedly, so this is you know the alleged uh, misconduct in that lawsuit, because apparently the software uh, learns how to coordinate higher prices. Now, if you and I were competing as rental estate managers, you know we'd uh, and we'd probably have an incentive to undercut each other. But if our rental so as pricing software tells each of us to keep prices high and neither of us defects, then that's Is good. that sort of similar to oligopolic practices of a century ago where if you had two steel companies or two book publishers or two printing companies, you might say we're both going to get hurt to a race to the bottom, so we'll agree. Yes. And that's 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 not new. Yeah, that's old, right? That is very, very old. But you know what else making me wonder? Yeah. Is this similar? That gets beyond my bailiwick of expertise. Is this similar to the way that Amazon will make you think you're getting, um, it changes its pricing by the minute. So you think you're getting um, a, a discount when you sign up for Prime. But what they're really doing is they know at what moment you're vulnerable to pay more prices. Like you'll pay a different price at 5 p.m. from 1 p.m. Because through big data, they figure out how to get you to pay more. Is this the same thing where the algorithm is trying to get you to pay more and basically oligopolistic so, so, so the, the, dif companies? the differences and similarities. The difference is that um, Amazon doing it by its own, on its own, that's unilateral. And that's totally different from collusion. So that's collusion, on the other hand, which is you and I sort of getting together and agreeing not to lower prices. That's very much illegal. And that's the Sherman Antitrust Act from of 1890. Which exactly. So would you say that real page is a page <laughs> out of our historic traditional antitrust, whereas the gamer lawsuits are a new page when we have to look at existing competition versus potential competition. Is that a fair way to put into neat, simplistic, um, journalistic categories? Paul, I'm going to say that the, the lawsuit alleges that this is the same thing. Now, I, I, I think there's also an important 
difference, which is that this is not explicit collusion. It's not literally you and I agreeing to not lower prices, but rather it's 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 algorithm assisted or algorithm helped. But but collusion. often now that's another question about obviously antitrust activity isn't about whether something is spoken. Yes. So if you're the two or three barons controlling an industry in the old days, did, sometimes they would have like meetings with the cigars yeah. where they evilly said, you know, we'll all agree on this kind of yeah. process to make sure none of us has to compete. Yeah. But isn't it more often the case we just understand as tacit? So the way the government like tacitly yeah. will, and a terrorist group will tacitly know how many <laughs> steps they're going to take to take power before they bomb each other more. Exactly. And how, does the, law, very, how does the law affect that? So I'm guessing with the real estate, I could be wrong yeah. and tell me if I'm wrong. I'm guessing with the real estate is what you're saying. There's no explicit agreement. Exactly. How does the law treat it if it's an obvious, unstated agreement? Yeah, that's a, that's a very important distinction. That's a sort of I'd say it's antitrust 101 that I tell my students. Explicit collusion. That's section one of the Sherman Act, and you go to jail for doing that <laughs> if there's proof for this. Tacit collusion, on the other hand, is you know you don't necessarily go to jail, and it's not a super clearly illegal violation. Okay. It's, you know, you will have to prove that this really harms consumers and this is really causing... So it's impact. That, that one is done it's much effect. more about impact, okay? Whereas for the first one, you know, if it's explicit collusion, I don't even need to prove that this is hurting consumers. If I have... So if, if ProPublica and the plaintiffs are correct, yeah. which you're saying they're not necessarily correct, yeah. this is... 101 this is what it's always been this is about collusion the old style yeah you're saying this is about not explicit collusion but about impact which is also an old question isn't yeah it? that so that one would be tacit collusion like you said and then it has to be about impact and you'd have to prove that look the the introduction and of do that you have software a take on this uh let me be cautious and say this they have aspects of this that look like tacit collusion that's harmful to consumers and on the other hand that just seems to be part of the software that's correcting biases that the rental agencies have in terms oh, of... Oh, like the way they get white people to pay no, more no, to go out of the No, suburb. not just that. No. no, but it turns out that what uh, what uh, rental agencies really don't like is vacancies. And they used to get rid of those vacancies by just pricing lower. And the software essentially told them, look, increase the prices but a little bit. we want them to do that, don't we? Yeah, well, we, of course. But you know, the, the profit motive for the rental agencies is also something that they are interested in and i think i did hear a point of view that's stronger which is that this case will test how implicit collusion concerns yeah and that it does seem like you think they're not going to be able to prove the explicit i think it's going to be a very very interesting case and i think it's going to be very difficult to prove explicit collusion it might be easy to show that this helps tacit collusion and that there is a harm to consumers, in this case, renters. And that is then up to the judge to decide of whether, um, what the compensation then should be. First, Edward, let me ask you about um, law. So what do Amy Klobuchar and Josh Hawley want to do? First of all, is there any chance? Because I do get the sense that every year everyone talks big about tech. They have different reasons. The conservatives are mad about. Um, they feel the rights being censored, even though they get algorithms, have them heard 10 times more as anybody. <laughs> and the left worries about your privacy or about yeah. competition. It seems like, am I right, that when it really comes down to because of all the intense lobbying on both sides, that you really can never get this passed. I think it's going to be difficult to get this passed. So is that just noise? Uh, it, I mean, I, I know this is not just Ava Klumacher is a very serious person who cares about yeah, antitrust law. I, and I respect her greatly, and I think she's written an interesting book also about uh, antitrust. But I think passing laws on this is going to be quite difficult. 
And once, even if you get to passing laws, what will eventually pass into law may not look exactly what you initially intended it to look. Will it fail to keep up with what was? Yeah. Happening? So that 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 could be. An so issue. is the real impact in the courts and in regulation? I think so. Yeah. The I, real action is yeah. lawsuits and regulation. I, I think so. Yeah. The, which, the, which brings us to uh, Lena Khan at the Federal Trade Commission, yeah. a Yale product, right? They Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And Justice Department's Jonathan Cantor and Tim Wu until this week at the National Economics Council. They're trying to take steps through the government, not private agencies that feel hurt like you know, by the Activision deal. Mm -hmm. What are they up to, what they're trying to do, like opening up charging networks for electric vehicles, the hearing aids? What are they trying to do and how's it working? So I think they, they're trying to be more aggressive in terms of antitrust enforcement than the their predecessors under the previous administration were. Mm -hmm. And they have taken in a number of, I think, important steps uh, where they also have been quite aggressive at merger enforcement or making sure that some of these anti-competitive mergers do not occur. Um, and that has also just a deterrence effect, which is that if, you, if I know that my merger is going to be challenged, I might be much more cautious about merging with my so direct competitor. So the jury's still out, right? They don't know whether their FTC is going to be able to block the meta and Microsoft purchases. Yeah. They did win on stopping Penguin Random House from buying yeah. Simon Schuster. Was that good? I think that's an excellent and decision. Stick? And I think that is, is, a, is a good one because it also illustrates directly to the public that, you know, we don't just care about consumers. It always says that antitrust is just about consumers and the consumer welfare standard. But this one was very, very clearly about other market participants. And here it was about protecting authors. So it was about, you know, making sure that authors that are selling their book rights to the big publishers are getting their fair share. And they're it's not a labor being, issue. Yeah, it's yeah, it's a labor issue. It's and but it is it's just market participants that are being protected here by, from a, in concentration well, you know, of market power. How do you define the public interest? Isn't that often like at issue in these cases in a way that that isn't so easy to tease out? Like, like are you trying to protect? Labor, like in this case, how impact the quality of versus like Walmart, what it does anti-competitively really helps with pricing and really yeah. helps with quality and labor standards and safety. Yeah. How do those get balanced historically with antitrust and how are they going to be balanced now? So strictly speaking, antitrust shouldn't do balancing. So we, we when we look at uh, mergers, for example, take the Simon Schuster and Penguin merger, you know, there the some of the arguments were that, oh, when we're combining these forces of the two merging parties, then we're going to be able to distribute this to more consumers, we'll be able to uh, attract more authors, and it, there's all, it's all going to balance out. And the FTC said very, very clearly, no, wait a second, you know, what you're really doing is you're harming one specific group, namely these very high-profile mm -hmm. authors and the advances that they're receiving. Yeah? And all we need to show is that you are harming this particular group of market I'm going to go back to a point earlier, and yeah. I'm sorry I forget the woman's name, the long tail and the barriers to entry. So there's no question it's true that if you're a conventional author who has an agent and yes. tries to get a contract, you're really hurt by this merger. But the Times had a front-page story about a woman who was writing, um, self-publishing these, yeah. uh, was it the romance books? Yeah. And she's a multi-multi-millionaire each year yeah. Because the following she built on her own in such a genuine way by fans. Mm -hmm. And so that could never happen before in history. Why? How could Penguin Random House have lost the case? Couldn't they just brought that article into court and yeah. said that 
that's the world's true. changed. You're looking in old rubric, and while you're worried about seven authors who are used to having it handled <laughs> the plate to them, the really scrappy authors who are doing a new way have opportunities they never did before to bypass us. Or like rock bands, yes, you might not get Live Nation, yeah, but thanks to YouTube algorithms, bands develop like Mandolin Orange. They develop mm -hmm. these national followings of people who like that kind of music in a niche. Where, where they won't get rich, they can actually make a living at it and tour yeah. and sell their recordings. So are we all wet? No, it's, uh, I think that there, there are many other constituents that are potentially heard in that Simon Schuster, Penguin, Random House merger. Well, it's, it's the just, reader because they won't get the... Exa but, yeah. but, but isn't that really still help? They just have to switch over and go yeah. online to the fan club and find the woman? But the important thing is really, you know, we want to win here lawsuits. Yeah, and the, the way that you hear you win the losses just show harm to one particular group. What's going to happen yeah. when these cases get to the Supreme Court or when the um, Republicans, if they take over both houses after the next election, rewrite the laws? Is this all going to be done or what? No, I think the, the, the antitrust revolution uh, is well underway. I don't think oh, okay. there's there's going to be there's going to be pushback. I think along the way, the, it it's, will take some time. It will take some. Uh, judicial education also it's you know just judges are not trained necessarily to do antitrust cases and, and it will take resources also for the antitrust authorities if you look at how much mergers have increased, will they get it will they get the staffing they need hopefully i think that's one of the big changes that everybody can agree on so both conservatives and liberals working and so the same republicans who are against funding the irs won't yeah, be against but they the don't like the fdc the, politi the politicians probably don't agree with it, but the, i'd say among antitrust economists and antitrust lawyers whether they're conservative oh, I get or that, liberal but, but they want is that going to matter if the coke funded candidates just like have the mission and the federalist judges society judges just yeah. say Gorsuch says i got my revenge for my mom and buford with the dep <laughs> i mean like i think yeah the, EPA, I mean. uh, one thing that i i am worried about and i, I take there your your concern is if these antitrust authorities do not and agencies don't get funded appropriately and we have actually now changed the funds them more than they used to and it, it would be great if that continues but if that type of funding gets cut then mergers can't be investigated anti-competitive behavior by dominant incumbents can't be investigated and that's a really real cause for concern all right well, i know i let you leave well first of all tell me a guy into this you grew up in austria right yeah when did you come to the u.s I came to the U.S. The in 2004, so almost 20 years what ago. What brought you here? Uh, graduate studying. The, the greatest thing that America does is educate the world. Uh, we do that here at Yale, too. And another case where it doesn't matter, in my opinion, although I am an antitrust guy big time, but I like to think of the conservative arguments. I think higher education might be one of those examples where the cartel is not a problem because the value of those high-priced educations don't matter as much anymore because you can get yeah. Coursera or the smaller universities and colleges and do just as well. There are also antitrust cases for right. uh, for the big right. for the big universities. And well, I so, think, so you yeah. came here. When did you get interested in antitrust? How did this become your thing? Um, I think I got interested already during grad school at MIT, um, but I really got into it, I'd say, in the... 2010s and so on when suddenly my students started asking all these questions i teach competitive strategy sort of you know short broadly loosely speaking it's about how do companies make more money uh so i teach them some of the things that you know uh are enhancing their profits but not necessarily enhancing the welfare of consumers and a lot of the students that we have which are wonderful students 
know, alerted me and said, look, there's many, many things that companies seem to be doing that are not so great. And that's how I got started. So your being students set in you on the track. Yeah. This is really a thing. Yeah. I was looking at your publications. Yeah. You're really all over this. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And it is a really important topic. Yeah. So now you do get time off. Yeah. You do go skiing. That's right. But yeah. you're still working. You I went skiing. Always, you yes. went skiing at the break. And tell me about your antitrust observation from skiing this break. Well, I found that interesting. Yeah. So unfortunately, the weather right now is not great for skiing. But everybody should check out our local Connecticut skiing resorts too. And one of the big things that's happening in the skiing industry is that as a massive consolidation. Uh, so the all the ski resorts are being bought up by Epic and Icon. And we're moving there to essentially a duopoly situation where did that affect where you went skiing? Like where'd you go skiing? It doesn't affect me that much skiing. I'm so addicted to skiing. My in economic speak, my demand is so inelastic that it doesn't matter so much how well, what much. What did you notice <laughs> on this trip? Well, what I noticed on this trip is that it's you know some of the quality and that is provided by the ski resorts have, may have gone down. In what ways? Yeah. So when I try to charge tickets up for my five year old daughter who's also like she's really skiing yeah she oh she's wow. obsessed she's you know she's half austrian she's half american half austrian it goes by the heritage that you have to go care about skiing. i see so it's not really an option <laughs> it's not an option that's why you have an elastic demand <laughs> yeah so I'm you know demand. exactly yeah. so you know her ski passes tend to be free but it the ski resorts make it quite difficult to actually load up the ski tickets for her because simply because they're free i have to go and queue at the ticket window but if i pay for like everybody else the seven-year-old did this used to be the true case has yeah, that been a change to, it used to be used to be much much easier to so that was this trip yeah this was this and where were you going this time i went to chemo what's um, that k-e-m-o o-k-e-m-o yeah where's yeah. that that's in vermont up there and who had bought that that's a uh, part of the epic pass how did, did it used to be uh so that i don't know so but epic doesn't own it it's more like Ticketmaster. you have to get uh, the tickets no, no, there no okimo is fully owned by epic um, and that's Vale Resorts, and so that's probably so you the noticed that thing. on your trip this time and trying to get the ticket for your daughter. That's right. Yeah. So you had to spend more time. It was a little bit of a hassle. Yeah, it's a little bit. Of, oh, but it helps if you tweet at them. Then, <laughs> they and, then and then so maybe the solution antitrust is to be good at tweeting. Uh, it, it helps, you know. Uh, also, in improving civic um, amenities in New Haven. Uh, people might know about the wonderful lights that we have at the Wilbur Cross tennis courts at the high school. Yeah. I, I, my biggest claim to fame is that I managed to get those installed after oh. tweeting at the mayor. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yes. So you need a mayor who answers the tweets. <laughs> you need a mayor, our former mayor who uh, answered those tweets, yeah. Oh, so which mayor was that? Um, I think it was still under the previous one. Justin, Tony Harp? Yeah, Tony Harp. Uh, Justin has been fantastic also for us. Um, both skiers and tennis players, yeah. <laughs> All right. So thank you so much for joining us. What, what's your bottom line? Are you, uh, um, which side do you agree with? Or you're the, you're the academic who sees both sides. I, I'm the academic who tries to see both sides, who tries to evaluate both sides. But I'd say among academics, I'm probably much, much more on the progressive side. And what does that mean? So I think I am much more for aggressive antitrust enforcement. There are a lot of people who disagree with the current approach of the FTC that is very, very aggressive. And that sometimes means that they lose some of these emerging Right, cases. they're saying it's worth trying to do it. It's worth trying to do it because... If we didn't do anything, then companies would be emboldened to do anti-competitive things and merge. So is it fair to say that you're a cheerleader for the new aggressive stance, but as a 
observer, you realize there are a lot of nuances and unanswered questions that are going to be tested out in this process. You put it beautifully, Paul. I think All right. I'll well, just leave it at that. You put it beautifully <laughs> for the last uh, 45 minutes. Thanks so much for joining us. It was a real treat. I could tell from interviewing the other day that you just have a lot to say and it's fun to hear and important. Thank you very much. So thanks for joining us, Florian Enderer, Associate Professor of Economics at the US School of Management and affiliate with the Department of Economics as well and our go-to guy on the return of the trust busters. Thanks to Tom for the question. Thanks to Harry Droz for the work in the controls, as always, our station manager. We're going to take it out with the Afro-Semitic experience, performing I Wish I Knew How It Would Feel to Be Free from the group CD, A Plea for Peace. This is Paul Bass inviting us, inviting you to fly with us free all day, all night, and all year long at WNHH, New Haven's home for community radio. Music.